Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now. Runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to the Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. My name is Hal Bryan and I'm EAA's Managing Editor for Print and Digital Content and Publications and I'm one of your hosts. Over there across the table it is... Tom Charpentier, Government Relations Director and one of your other hosts. Excellent. And between the two of us, we constitute all of the hosts. Correct. At least for this episode. <laughs> and Tom, we're uh, we're joined by... Uh, by uh, Good friend of the organization and, and somebody I consider a great friend personally as well, uh, John Dorsey. John, welcome. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us through the magic of the internet. Yeah, yeah. Tom, it's great to, to spend a little time with you. Well, it's uh, we're we're sure lucky to have you here. Uh, now, John, are you uh, are you back in Wisconsin or are you still uh, in warmer climes? <laughs> I could only hope that I would be still in warmer climes. So no, I'm. Uh, Sitting, looking out my my window, where it is terribly cold outside. Yeah, so. right. And as we're uh, as we're recording this on uh, what April twenty, um, you know, we had snow yesterday. So we did. <laughs> it's just not right. <laughs> right, and you could have been on a beach. Anyway, uh, John is joining us today uh, to talk. Uh, we're going to pick his brain a bit about uh, 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 getting his insights as uh, as a CFI and and certainly a longtime pilot. But John, why don't you give us just a little bit of your your background? Introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, well, well uh, you almost alluded to the fact that I'm a Wisconsin native. Uh, grew up in the southern part of the state. Not far enough south, probably, for that warmer air. Uh, and when I was eight years old, my my uh, my dad took me for an airplane ride. It was really a, a ruse. He he really wanted to go and and become a pilot, and uh, he drug me along to kind of run interference, I think, between he and my mom. Um, he went on to, as I said, get his private certificate, and and while I was there, I got bit by the bug. Uh, unlike the generation before me that built balsa airplanes i built model rockets it was nasa wow. was booming and and uh man it was great and estes got a lot of my money as a young <laughs> kid and uh for those that built model rockets you know who i'm talking about um and and everything and anything aviation uh i was there uh we went to our first air venture in 1969 the last year at rockford uh, i was in the air force at the time and uh, yeah, that just stirred the pot and uh, made a one-stripe airman a, uh, um, you know, I was just hooked and, and did a couple of mistakes, which we'll get into in a little bit. And since then, I've been very, very lucky. Uh, I, uh, in August, I'll reach 50 years of uh, flying. I soloed August the 6th, wow. 50 years ago. And, um, and then, um, yeah, so I've been a CFI for 47 years. Gosh, it's painful to, to think of those numbers like that, but uh, lots of great experiences, a lot of great people I've been able to, to uh, work with. Yeah, John, how many, uh, how many students do you estimate you've had in total? Oh, gosh. You know, that's a, Tom, that's a really hard question, and, and I say that because I fly with a, a real multitude of people, um, flight reviews, instrument proficiency checks, uh, I was also the chief instructor for a, for a 141 school, which meant I did a lot of phase checks and simulated check rides. So those people I didn't really necessarily work with for a long period of time. It'd be an hour here, an hour there. But I've got about 400, uh, 400 and a little bit of folks that I've flown with over the years. Of that, I, I've uh, recommended about 158 
at the last count, 158 recommendations for pilot certificates of various levels. Oh, that's amazing. You know, we've, I've always said that, you know, if every pilot out there could just find uh, two more to get into uh, general aviation, we'd have more pilots than have ever existed at any one point in time. So uh, uh, you've definitely filled your quota. I think the rest of us have to work on that. <laughs> A little bit of catching up to do. Yeah. Well, there's always time. There's always time. So um, what, would, what would, you know, you've, you've obviously you've had a, a close to 200 a, a students go through with you. Um, in all of that time, what would you say your top five pieces of advice would be uh, for any new student pilot or, or any prospective uh, person who wants to get into aviation? Sure. Um, I would say that, and the relationship that any pilot's going to have with their instructor um, is probably the most important relationship that that person will have, maybe next to their their uh, significant other. Um, that that relationship is huge. So I would I would say to anybody that's either thinking about flying or or is even in flying, if you don't have a, a really solid relationship with your instructor, it's time to find one that you can have one with. That that to me that's huge. Um, the, the the next thing is ask questions. Um, I read somewhere it's ask, 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 and you, and you just have to do that. If, if you're not sure, ask. And, and uh, there aren't any crazy, stupid questions. There are just questions that haven't been answered. Uh, third thing I would say is, is, is be honest. Um, if you don't know something in the topic that we're talking about, again, uh, let us know. We, 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 can, we can only teach what we know as uh, needed, right? We have to fill in the blanks. And if, if, if we're looking, maybe we're not focused on exactly um, what you're sending to us as, as body language, maybe we're missing the fact that you're really telling us you don't, you don't have a clue what we're talking about. And uh, for example, I, I had a helicopter buddy of mine that said, so John, explain to me tail rotor, the loss of tail rotor effectiveness. And, and, and I gave him this blank stare like, <laughs> what is loss of tail rotor effectiveness? Of course, I'm not a rotorcraft guy, but but that's the kind of things sometimes that, that flight instructors can miss is that that body language that's letting us know that hey, uh, you know, we pulled out of the station and our passenger isn't on board with us. Um, the, the 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 next thing is is do your homework. If if the instructor asks. Uh, for you to, to read something or to view a video on YouTube or to complete the next chapter of a, of a, of a uh, online course or a, a multimedia course, do that. You, you want to come to your lessons prepared and, and uh, that's going to make life for you a whole lot easier and get you to your goal quicker. And it really does uh, make our uh, in-cockpit time better. The airplane is the world's any aircraft is the world's worst classroom. So we really need to make things better. And we can do that best, I think, by, by reading about it, seeing other people do it. Um, total immersion, trying to figure out what's going on. The last thing I would say is probably not the least, and that's really what impacted me. As I said, a one-stripe kid in the Air Force 50 years ago wasn't making a lot of money. And, and I had some fits and spurts of starts and um, because I didn't have any money, but I wanted to fly. So if I got paid on Friday, Saturday, I went out and flew for an hour and gee, I don't, I don't know if I was able to eat if I wasn't, you know, getting fed by the, by the Air Force. 
So money is a big thing. If, if, you, if you can get all the money that you need for your rating before you get started, yay. Uh, if you can get a good start, that's, that's a, a, a good start. So many times I find people that have started and stopped simply because of the money issue. And, and you're just extending your frustration and extending the period of time that uh, it's going to take you to get that certificate. And, and more importantly, it, 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 it just takes a lot of the fun out of it. You know, it's just not as much fun when you're worrying about how am I going to pay for this? Yeah. I think on that, on that last point, um, I, one, it's, it's important to have enough money to keep going. But one thing I did find that was really uh, helpful about learning to fly was it is also pay as you go. So, you know, if, if you, if you are training over the course of, you know, say six months or so, I think that's, that's fairly average. Um, you know, you could definitely have a lump sum going in, but as long as you have a steady stream of income, that's that's one way to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, it was interesting, John. You talked about uh, um, you know reading body language and stuff, and just just uh, trying to sort of understand you know what the student needs and what they're what they're missing. Uh, with as many students as you've had, I, I mean, there isn't a there isn't a topic in the curriculum that you haven't explained hundreds and hundreds of times uh, over, you know, as you said, 47 years. Is it challenging to keep track? Because I would think that if I were in that position, I would be looking at a student and I'd be and I, I'd want to express something. And then I'd say, wait, no, I'm sure I told them that because because I've said it. I've said it hundreds of times over decades, <laughs> but maybe I haven't taught that to that particular student. Is that a challenge to keep track of those sorts of things? Um, so, yes, absolutely. And and uh, the way I look at it is, is, is and, and maybe it's an excuse on my part, but but I like repetition. So I'll, I'll I know and I heard myself maybe even saying it to the same pilot sitting there on the left side. I, I I consider everybody a pilot. They may only be a student pilot, but they're still a pilot. And, and so I've got this young pilot sitting next to me with maybe four or five hours of experience. And, and they're waiting for that next gem that I'm going to throw at them. And then if I repeat myself, I hope that they don't think, oh, geez, you know, he's, he's repeating himself. I may be doing that for a reason. You know, it may be important, um, but I'd rather repeat it than, than not state it once. Yeah, that's a great, uh, great philosophy. Um, so speaking of that, and you, you stressed, uh, you know, uh, very early on that the relationship between a, a student and CFI is is vital and that it's it's, it's crucial for a student to select a, uh, the right CFI. And other than, you know, finding somebody with with whom you've got some rapport and that uh, that you might click with. What, uh, in your mind, what are the qualities that uh, that make a good CFI? If you're advising somebody, uh, and and maybe they're, you know, they're not lucky enough to be close enough to fly with you, so you've <laughs> got to go tell them, hey, this is what to look for uh, if you want uh, if you want a good CFI. What do you tell people? Sure, um, and and that's and that's really um, so far probably guys the the toughest question. Um, but but it, it's going to start with, um, I think, empathy on, on the part of the instructor. Um, we, we as teachers, as instructors, we, we have to have that empathy. We have to um, imagine ourselves. I just soloed a 16-year, four-day-old um, pilot 
on Sunday, right? So three days ago. And, and uh, I, I probably wasn't as excited as he was, but I was pretty <laughs> close. I was pretty close. And, and he did it with an audience of probably 15 family members oh, and wow. friends and stuff that snuck out to the airport while he was taxiing away. It was a lot of coordination effort. But, but my point there, though, is, is, is if you can find an instructor that, that teaches with an eye for the newness, the, the uniqueness of what we're about to undergo, I think that's key. Um, I don't think you can find that in a lot of folks. And you can't just walk up talk to someone for five minutes and come away with the idea that yeah that's that person really looks at it as a as a, a new pilot as a student pilot um, they, they really have to have a passion though um, uh, not only in flying but wanting to share um, our love for flying you know we're, we're not going to do it necessarily for um, uh, 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 I guess I we're not going to do it to get rich. That's the number one thing. People don't teach to, to get rich. Um, we, but what we do, though, is, is we're rich in our experiences. We, we're not rich financially. Um, so if you can take that passion and, and somehow wear it on your sleeve as a badge, that would be a badge that I'd be looking for if, if I was looking for an instructor that, was, that I'd want to work with. Um, an interest in lifelong learning, too, is something that's important, not only as a as a pilot, we're going to talk a little bit about that, I hope, later on. But but I will say, though, that I just went out and um, got my single-engine C rating. Uh, it was funny. The the instructor I worked with, we were on the phone a couple of times before we met, and he said, he apologized. He said, John, I'm, I'm, I'm the oldest uh, flight instructor in the school, so and you're stuck with me. And I, <laughs> I laughed. I said, that's okay. I'm the oldest student you're going to fly with this season, so we're going to get along great. Um, so, so we, we hit it off famously, but, but it was that initial discussion. And as I said, we had a couple of them on the phone that, that I could tell that this was going to be somebody I was going to be able to get along with really, really well. Um, he stressed safety. He stressed all the things that I would stress with, with an applicant. Um, and, and yeah, we just did it famously. So, um, and, and he was excited that I had this interest to, add another rating that you know I don't know if I'll I'll use that rating per se but but I certainly brought things home with me that that I'm going to be using every day now as an instructor um, and, and another thing that that is hard and sounds harsh maybe but I would recommend that people look for an instructor that's not building time uh, as a primary goal it's okay if they're building time to go on to become a airline pilot. That's that's how the process works. We need to build that time some way and instruction is one of the ways but but I I would look for an instructor that maybe they're going on to the career of, of, of uh, airlines but right now their focus is on being a teacher. Yeah I think that I, I completely agree with that point John. I think um, my the flight school I learned to fly at I was fortunate to have all instructors who were um, they were part-timers that were there because I wanted to be there. Um, and uh, I, I don't think many of them were time builders. Um, certainly no knock against that, but, um, but they definitely wanted to teach, and that's what they were there for. Um, and that was, that was really, really helpful. Right. And if, if I may real quick, my, my experience, I, I guess looking back uh, and uh, 
Kurt, Doug, if you're listening, hey guys, um, what I think about the the two main instructors I have for my private and my instrument, uh, I, I think it's safe to say they were they were time builders at the time, but I would never have thought that. I would never have realized that, you know. And I was just joking the other day that that uh, you know when I was uh, 18, you know these guys were old men of 21, <laughs> and uh, um, and it seemed like they just had worlds of experience beyond me, which in a way they did. Um, and I, I, they both built time and went on to do other things, but uh, but they they never gave me that impression. I, I never felt like it was anything other than this is their mission. This is their reason to exist right now is uh, is to uh, to get me through my my uh, check rides and ratings. So, um, from my experience, uh, great not to find somebody who's just just checking the boxes and marking time. But if you if you do find somebody who's somewhat in that position, uh, look for the right attitude. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, and you know, the other thing too, and, you know, for an instructor like John, I, you know, I think, um, there are, there are definitely qualities that, um, uh, less experienced instructors can have that are, that are, uh, very, very good, but, um, it, it's, it's always, always very helpful to have an instructor who has experience, um, just, you know, out there flying. I mean, there's not really any replacement for that. Um, and that's, um, if you can find an instructor like that, that's really, really helpful. Um, John, moving on to another topic, uh, or sorry, a similar topic um, uh, on that. What do you think makes for a good student? Um, and we've we've talked about that a little bit in your top five pieces of advice. But but what what gives a person the right temperament uh, to be a uh, and the right skills to be a good um, uh, student? Wow, um, that Tom is probably the the most difficult question to answer, if only because. Um, I don't know that I can word draw a picture of the perfect student. Um, I think that um, there are uh, folks that, that maybe have a, a temperament or maybe a, a way of looking at life that are going to be challenges, and hopefully we can overcome them. Um, but it's, I think the first thing I would say is maybe um, this is maybe not the right word, I'm going to say pliable. Um, pliable in that, that they're going to come to this realizing that this is not like getting in your car, turning the key switch on, similarity is bad in that case, um, and fly away like you're in your in your car and autopilot, right? And that's what a lot of us do. We set the cruise control on the interstate and down the road we go and and I'll probably find you and you're in the left lane as you cut across three lanes of traffic to go out the exit. Um, we, we, we have to have people, I think, that are, are understanding that what they're about to undertake is um, dangerous and it's unlike anything else that they've ever done. It's gonna take some um, challenges because we, or provide some challenges because we're gonna operate in an environment that is somewhat hostile. Um, and can be ultimately hostile if, if it gets into a really bad weather situation. So I think pliability is maybe a, I wish I could find a better word, but that, that's what hit me at least in, at, at the first. Um, I've worked with um, some folks that are, if, if 
And again, how you mentioned being 18, when, when we're all 18, we're impervious to everything, right? Um, <laughs> yes. I, I want to have people that are, that are a little nervous and they're more concerned, a little nervous. Um, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not willing to uh, uh, strike out and, and uh, um, test fate and, and those kinds of things. Um, so the other thing is, is someone that's willing to, to listen. Um, I'm going to let everybody I work with go just as far as I can before I have to take over the controls and stuff. But if you don't listen, if you don't observe when I'm giving you the demonstration the first time we're doing a maneuver, it's going to be a long, tough process. Um, I'll try to correct you along the way. Hey, you, you've got to listen. You've got to watch. Um, and and um, so all those things, I think, are are part and parcel to the to a, a student that's going to have better success. Um, sadly, in, in that 47 years, I found not very many, a couple that I just had to sit down and say, hey, you know what? I don't, I don't think this is going to be the thing for you. You should go buy a boat or, or something else. Um, and thankfully, that uh, I guess that that hasn't happened a lot, but sometimes it really does, though. Yeah, absolutely, John, and uh, I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll take that in good nature as a as a boat owner uh, and pilot. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think one one thing that uh, if I might uh, just add, and and I I'm certainly not a CFI, but I I, um, I I think that this is as I look at aviation safety, I think this is something that is important is curiosity too. Um, I think we want, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I, I feel like we want people who want to know not just how something works, but why it works. Um, there's, there's enough um, important safety issues and safety concepts in aviation where it's really helpful to um, understand a little bit more than just the surface level of how certain systems work in order to be, uh, in order to be safer. Well, I couldn't agree more, Tom. And, and in fact, I found, have found, excuse me, that over the, the intervening time that, that we are become um, less and less mechanically orientated. And so a lot of, a lot of even instructors today, uh, I happen to be, uh, I hold an A&P, I used to be an IA, um, kind of an A&P on steroids for folks that don't know what an IA is. And, and um, best piece of advice I ever got was from a corporate chief pilot in Racine who said, John, if you want to get hired as a pilot, go get your A&P. Um, I don't think it has to go to that extreme, but, but I think, though, that, that, as you said, Tom, knowing how something works uh, is, is great. And, and I think that uh, we, I was w working with a, a high schooler uh, a number of years ago, and I was going through, we were going through the engine system, and, and I said, okay, so we've got two spark plugs in each cylinder, and each spark plug is run by a different magneto. And, and we went on, I was long dissertation, and about six minutes later, she said, wait, 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 John, what's a spark plug? <laughs> so right then I had to do a real mea culpa and said, whoa, you know, John, you know, I'm doing my little self-talk now. I'm saying, oh my gosh, how did I drop that ball? So, but you're absolutely right. At least she asked, which is another reason why I said ask, 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 because sometimes, you know, our presentation is, is missing the most important, most basic things like how a spark plug works. I, I found uh, in my experience, um, you know, I was uh, absolutely an airplane nut growing up as a kid and, you know, living on a little airstrip and 
being a second generation pilot and things. So in terms of history and identifying types and things, I was an obsessive little encyclopedia, but I, I wasn't particularly mechanically inclined. And, you know, I, when I was 16, got my driver's license, got a car, but I, I wasn't uh, one of the auto shop kids and I wasn't one of the guys out there sort of tinkering with the car. And when it came time for me to learn, uh, learn system stuff as part of, part of flight training, you know, that was an area we had to spend some more time. And I'm, I'm uh, eternally grateful for, for instructors who just recognized that and said, okay, this is, you know, you, you need uh, a little less over here and a little more over there and we'll just, uh, we'll just work through it. Um, one more thing about before we get off the top of sort of what makes a good student, um, you know, we've kind of established this is, uh, as you said, John, uh, use that word pliable, which I think is actually great. I just picture somebody who's going to be open to be molded into uh, into something. And, you know, we've talked about they've, they've got to have a respectful attitude toward the uh, toward the risks. And, you know, hopefully, even if they are teenagers, they're less uh they, they, they come with less of that invincibility attitude, which I know I had back then, and I know so many do. Um, and so, so learning to fly is, uh, is something that, that has to be taken seriously. It, it poses certain, certain risks and things like that, but obviously the rewards are, are tremendous. Um, what Can you quantify or describe sort of the, if it's the drive or the passion or the dedication or something, that you want to see in a student to uh, to meet those challenges, to surpass those things, and then come out successfully at the other side. Yeah, I th I think uh, yeah, willingness, a passion is certain. The, you know, the other thing too is that, and I don't want to make it sound like flight instruction should be this dry, rote thing. We, we're, I I think the best flight instruction period is one that we 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 accomplished the goals that we had set before we took off but but also that that we're smiling when we get down on the ground maybe we had a little fun maybe it was just the fun and the accomplishment of of what it was that we wanted to do maybe it was seeing something from a perspective that very few people get to see whatever it was but but i i try to have a little bit of fun every every time Again, not not pulling away from our, our primary mission, but but we want to have fun. That doesn't necessarily include buzzing somebody's house or something like that and doing those eighteen year old things that some people might want to do. But, What's the statute of limitations on those things? Just <laughs> asking for I, a friend. I, I think you're over that, Hal. I think we're good. Um, but to but to, uh, to yeah to your point, I think that it's it's um, it, it's really important for the flight instructor though to to uh, to see acknowledge those things that the instructor may see in, in in that student pilot and and try to um act do you know what bumper bowling is where they fill the the gutter with an airbag kind of a thing and oh sure and you can never get a gutter ball right i think that's i think that's kind of the job i look at in in relative to your question for the cfi I'm supposed to be that bumper. I'm going to fill up the gutter so that you don't hurt yourself. Um, and yet you can experience all those things. And most importantly, see it for yourself and learn, hey, you know what? I don't think I should be doing that like that anymore. Right? And and so uh, I, I, I try to really do have that experience for everybody I fly with is, well, okay, you want to do that? Let's just see how where this goes. And then uh, have them realize 
gee, I don't, I don't think I should do that. And yay, we've, we've mission accomplished kind of thing. All of that, of course, within reason, but, but yeah. That's a good way of saying it. Absolutely. That's a, yeah, great picture. Uh, next time I go bowling, John, I'm going to be imagining you there keeping me, uh, keeping me out of the gutter, which good luck. <laughs> oh boy. So, so John, every, every CFI has a story um, hmm. like this. Uh, what's the most surprising thing that a um, student ever did in the cockpit with you? Yeah. Um, there, there's the, Tom, thankfully, there's been some surprises, and none of them really too dramatic or traumatic. Uh, I've actually had um, um, one, uh, in fact, it was while I was going to A&P school, um, and, and I'm actually doing a presentation on this for CFIs um, in, a, in another um, venue, and uh, he was a we were both from the military. He was army door gunner in, in the war uh, in Hueys. And um, we were out doing his first initial stalls. And Al was his name. And Al, uh, we, I did the demonstration. Uh, he did one and uh, the next one, uh, he overreacted and went full forward with the yoke, locked his elbows and his eyes were the size of saucers. And um, we were in a little 150, and um, getting him to let go, notwithstanding I have the controls, you have the controls, I have the controls, which back then wasn't wasn't a thing. Uh, we survived, and sadly, um, Al didn't want to fly anymore. Um, in fact, he was pretty quiet. And um, on the way home, the, the the reason I bring that one up is because I've seen more and more of those kinds of things. Um, um, over my career, maybe not quite as dramatic as that. So that's the kind of thing I guess I would put a flag up for instructors that haven't experienced that or maybe uh, relax a little bit, maybe even too much, um, where we might leave the runway or something if it was on the ground. That's interesting. The um, and it's yeah, and unfortunate that this that that particular student, you know, maybe maybe uh, spooked himself or. You know, realized or decided after that that it that uh, this wasn't for him. Um, in a in a case like that, you say didn't really really talk much. Um, and I I don't mean this to be an unfair question to you, but I'm sure you you thought about it when you look back on that particular incident, or as you were driving home, or and and reflecting on that student either then or now. You know, many many years later. Um, was there anything that you you asked yourself uh, that you might have done differently? Anything else you might have talked about in a in a brief or anything else that that uh, that you would have wanted to do to uh, to to have a different outcome in that scenario? Sure. Well, we certainly talked about it after we were on the ground, and he was a classmate, right? So so we're both in A and P school, so we'd see each other on the shop floor, and 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 we would talk. But um, yeah, he was. Um, and, and I think it was more of a fear thing and his fight or flight response kicked in and it that just overwhelmed him to the point where um, at that moment, um, he, he knew the only thing that was gonna help was push forward. Um, we had talked several times about it, but I, I think it's important to, so that was, that was 40, it was 1976, so how many years ago that would be? 
um, 44, 43. Um, so it was a long time ago, and if it's still on top of my head, I think it was certainly significant for me. Um, and and uh, 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 without a doubt, it was significant for Al. So, but yes, we, we lost a, a potential pilot, but he went on to a to an A and P career, and last I knew, he was doing pretty well with that. Oh well, that's that's great. Uh, what would you say uh, would be uh, the biggest challenge, or maybe? You know, pick one sort of top of mind. Biggest challenge you've ever helped a student uh, overcome? Mm. So there's a response to Tom your question about um, surprising thing a student ever did. I actually had a um, a lady cry, um, and it was a successful cry, right? I mean, she just started crying, um, and and that brings me to Hal your question about overcoming uh, a challenge, uh, and, and it was. Uh, a student that had been working with a, a senior CFI, um, she had about 50 hours of flight time in a 172 and hadn't soloed yet. And she would she would get to the takeoffs and landings. Things were going well with the with the wind down the runway or calm winds. But when the winds would pick up or she'd get a little bit of a crosswind, she had a real problem. And and so the CFI asked if I would fly with her. In fact, not only fly with her, but if I would take her over as a student, he felt that his schedule was a little too full. So I said, sure. So we started the flight by me just explaining to her what we were going to do and what that was. But she was going to give me an airplane ride to a nearby airport. And I was just going to watch. I just wanted to see what she would do and and uh, how she would respond to different environment. Purposely picked a day with a little bit of a crosswind, asked her to land on the more crosswind runway. And yep. She had a problem, um, but what I observed, I thought was so easy to see that we, we fixed it fairly straightforward. She's uh, shorter in stature, and she had the seat in the 172 cranked all the way up, would make sense uh, in some applications, and then she also had a pillow, one behind her back and one under her bottom. And, um, but the thing that I noticed was she her legs were still short enough that she couldn't reach full rudder throw um, with with the seats and cushions and everything the way she had them. So we landed, uh, we rearranged the seat, put the cushions, both of them behind her back. On the ground, we're having her play with the rudder a little bit, and I could notice that already she isn't uh, extending her leg to full extension and yet getting full rudder throw. I said, okay, let's go fly. And um, so we did that, and same winds, same airplane, same runway, and she laid it right down the center with perfect control, ailerons into the wind and opposite rudder to hold the nose square with the center line, and that's when she started to cry. <laughs> <laughs> so tears of joy. Tears of joy, absolutely. And as you said, and, a good and, successful cry. Yeah, yeah, so she went on, and, 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 and because of her lots of time before she soloed, things went you know, swimmingly after that, and... Um, um, uh, and, and went on to take her successfully take her check ride. It seemed like weeks. It was probably two months, but but nonetheless, she she did it in in record time after that really tough start. Yeah, that's great. But it was all observation, right? It was just looking with a new set of eyes as a new instructor to say, okay, so what is this pilot bringing? And, and what are the challenges? And I just have, it, it just jumped out 
right at me. So yeah, fairly straight away. Well, and that's a really good example of uh, of a case where um, you know you. You definitely look at your instructor, especially when you're first starting off, as you know, as an as as sort of an infallible authority figure. But sometimes it works. You know, if you're stuck, you may want to try flying with a different instructor. And there's certainly no um, there's no harm in that. There's no shame in that. Uh, you know, um, uh, they work for you, and that that's something that students need to need need to remember sometimes. Absolutely. And Tom, I think it was you that brought up on an earlier podcast about. Uh, uh, learning to fly at flying clubs and that being a, a you know a positive thing, uh, and that was exactly the the situation. And, and here the instructor was the same of the same mind. Said John, you know I don't know what I'm missing here. Can you can you take a look? So it's a sharing both ways, whether it's driven by the by the student or by the instructor. In this case, the instructor said, Hey, I'm, I'm having a problem here, but but I'm sure that. She she realized that she was having a problem, and we were able to overcome that. But but yeah, absolutely right. Don't forget that that not only is the relationship important, but if you're struggling, hey, let's call in somebody else. Maybe somebody can see something with new set of eyes. That's that's good sound advice. Uh, and and speaking of which, you know, we've talked about uh, advice for uh, advice for students who are starting out, advice for prospective students. Um, what about pilots who've been flying, uh, flying for years? You know, you mentioned you've you've done flight reviews and things. Um, anything that you've picked up over the years flying with uh, with experienced pilots, maybe not high time pilots, but these are post check ride people who are coming back to you every couple of years uh, for some updates. Anything bubble up to the surface there? Do you have uh, do you have a top few favorite things that uh, that you like to pass on or that you think need to be expressed? Sure. Uh, sadly, I think that. A lot of us, um, um, we kind of get into a little bit of a rut, right? Uh, we'll go out to the airport. If we own our own airplane, we'll, we'll pre-flight, go in the pattern three times around, four times around maybe, and we'll call it a day. And, and by the way, we checked the weather before we went, and the winds are calm, and the skies are blue, and, and the weather's perfect. And, and so we'll do that 12 times a year and think, boy, um, you know, I'm, I'm ready for that flight review. And when, when, when the, hopefully the instructor asks the, the person coming for the review to, to do something a little bit out of the norm, like fly on a windy day, or, or maybe we'll simulate some somewhat instrument conditions, or maybe fly at the MEL, right? The, the, or excuse me, the, the minimum safe altitude. And, and uh, the, uh, um, and they're thinking, wow, I, I don't know if I like flying at this level. But, but if the clouds were low and sun forecasted and you get stuck down that low, you know, we have to do that. So I think that as pilots, we, we need to continue to, to test ourselves and push a little bit and, and push that discomfort to where we're, we're trying to get better. Um, and if you're uncomfortable flying in crosswinds, we'll find an instructor and um, go out with, with them and, and uh, test that crosswind skills or build on those crosswind skills. Um, I think that, uh, and I just did a presentation for the local chapter. Um, in fact, I think that was just last week where I talked about my, uh, my single engine C rating, but it really wasn't, I use that as an opportunity and as a springboard to say to people, okay, listen, um, we all just got $1,400 of disposable income. 
let's take that $1,400 and do something positive with it for our aviation careers. Let's go out and push ourselves, maybe get a tailwheel rating, maybe just get a checkout in a new airplane. How about this? How about we go and get an instructor in a 172, maybe you could get eight to 10 hours of flight time and do something that you never do any other time. Fly in a class Bravo airspace, or maybe fly um, all of it at night, or go into 10 different airports that you've never been into before, maybe, maybe grass runways in that list. Um, do something different with that, as long as we got that disposable income, and thanks, Hal, for that little laugh, because, but, but what a great opportunity, right? Um, and I think that's the trick, is to expand our envelopes, to push ourselves a little bit, and, and that will make you better just as a result of that. Yeah, I think that's a really good advice, John. I I, um, I was kind of reflecting on this myself the other day that, you know, the, um, the RV-6 that's in our flying club, I, I realized that I only really ever take that airplane out if I'm going somewhere. Um, and I, I do pattern work in some of the other aircraft we have, but but just, you know, I, I, I don't feel that I've um, kept up my proficiency in that aircraft enough to really, uh, you know, kind of rate to be able to, to take the airplane out um, on, on trips like that. So it's uh, it's very important um, to, to keep uh, currency up in, in whatever it is that you're flying. Um, you talked about, uh, you talked about the, um, uh, the, the, so a little bit of extra disposable income we, uh, we, we're, we all have right now. Uh, what if, uh, one of, one of us wanted to use that toward, uh, becoming a CFI? Um, what kind of advice would you have, uh, for somebody who's a prospective CFI? Um, and, uh, what maybe is the hardest part of that process? I'm going to answer the, the, uh, last part of the question, the hardest part first, um, so the prerequisites are, are, I don't want to say insurmountable, they're not, but, but, but for an airplane, CFI, for an airplane, we have to have an instrument rating and we have to take two knowledge tests. One of them is called the Fundamentals of Instruction, which is FAA code for psychology. And that is probably the toughest um, knowledge test that you will take because it's the only aviation knowledge test that you will take that has so very little to do with anything aviation. Um, that's probably the, the hardest leap. Now for um, people that are certified teachers, um, they get a pass on that knowledge test. Yay, that's a pretty good thing. Um, then, uh, and, and if you're going to be a CFI for um, LSA, um, you, you can um, uh, you, you can do that without the instrument rating. That's the only, uh, well, the uh, lighter than air folks don't have a CF, or, uh, instrument rating either, but, but, uh, but nonetheless, that's the only one that doesn't have a requirement for the CFI. So we have to do a couple of things extra. We have to have that instrument rating and we have to take that darn fundamentals of instruction test, the psychology thing. Not that it's hard, uh, it's just different. And, um, and it's really the application part that becomes a challenge. Um, and then if we want to talk about the, um, the physical aspects of it, yeah, it's the view. All of a sudden you're on the right side of the airplane, you're flying with your right hand, throttles with your left, and oh my gosh, all the instruments are a long ways over. So we have a thing called parallax error. And uh, so everything is off by just a little bit. But uh, um, all of your training towards the CFI is done with the 
CFI applicant in the right seat, and uh, it's all the commercial private maneuvers. And uh, it's it's just a a real learning experience, but it's all done with the idea that uh, when you take your check ride, the examiner role plays as a student, and um, you actually do very little flying. The flying you'll do will be in a demonstration format of a maneuver, and mostly it's critique and um, uh, comment about uh, corrections for um, what the examiner has demonstrated as a deficiency. And John, you mentioned commercial maneuvers. Uh, So of course, uh, instrument ratings required, then commercial certificate required, correct? Sorry, yes, yeah. And and, um, so both the instrument Thank you, Hal. The, the, the instrument rating, see, it, it's, it's, it's um, saying those same things over and over. Sometimes you miss things, right? Isn't that what we just <laughs> talked about? Um, <laughs> so, so we have to have uh, the prereqs include the commercial rating as well as the instrument. Um, now, though, logical follow-on would be, okay, John, what kind of medical do I need? Believe it or not, you can be an instructor with uh, basic med. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's terrific. Um, yeah. and of course, you know, Tom would be our resident expert on on basic med, and that's that was a pleasant surprise for me because I was uh, looking forward to sort of switching to basic med, and full disclosure, I did. Uh, but I've also got an eye toward uh, finally finishing my commercial and doing a CFI, hopefully here in the near future. Excellent. And so for a little while, I was a little bit torn. It's like, do I want to sort of step out of the class medical system? only to have to step back into BSEFI, then I learned, you know, that's that's not necessary. That was great. Yeah, and John, I, I, I did want to highlight one thing you said about the uh, the sport pilot CFI, too. That is a, uh, that's a really great rating for somebody who might be interested in maybe instructing part-time and just doing it for the love of it. Um, as you said, I mean, all you need is a either a sport or a private or even a rec pilot certificate. Um, and I think 150 hours total and... Uh, 50 in light sport aircraft, something like that. Um, it's really not that hard at all. And um, hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll have some uh, changes coming to sport pilot that will make it an even more useful rating. And um, you'll be able to instruct in a lot of different aircraft. Absolutely. In fact, we, uh, so I do some flying at a school down in Hartford in little yellow airplanes. And, and uh, one of our instructors was, while he was going to college, was a um, sport pilot instructor who just uh, we worked together on his commercial and his instrument and uh, so now he's a uh, not only a light sport instructor but a, a CFI uh, not only a light sport instructor with a CFI rating but also a CFI for uh, airplanes for private commercial and uh, instrument as well so yeah that's great uh, well, John, we're uh, just about to the uh, the point where we're going to wrap things up. But one uh, one last question. Maybe this is an easy one. Maybe this is the hardest of all. But is there is there a single thing that uh, you look back in your experience as a CFI that you would say is the most rewarding thing about it? Oh gosh. Um, so a, a guy by the name of Paul Poveresny said that that he did what he did because of, of the people, and and yeah, it's the same for me. It's the people. Um, all all of all of those years, all of those people that I've flown with, I don't remember every single name and or every single face. Sometimes I actually have both of them put together, but it's been <laughs> such a joy, such a reward to uh, to be able to fly with everybody. I've I've learned something from every one of them, and 
hopefully, thankfully, um, they've learned something from, from me as well. And uh, the biggest reward I get is to uh, be able to have already now the second and, and almost the third generation of people that I've worked with coming up and saying, hey, I've got my son or, oh gosh, not yet, hopefully, but soon a grandson or daughter that, that wants to learn to fly, and I thought of you. What a, what a, what a reward. That is remarkable. Well, John, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to join us. Uh, join us on the show today. This has been uh, been an enlightening conversation for me. The time has uh, has really just zipped right by. Um, so, uh, our gratitude to you for uh, for spending some time and sharing some of your uh, some of your insights. And on a on a broader level, uh, you know, thank you for those contributions you've made to wow. the whole aviation community <laughs> at large. Well, Hal, Tom, it's been just a treat to be able to spend some time with you guys today. And uh, yeah, we, uh, I, I look forward to the next time I either hear you in the pattern or, or get to fly and we'll talk about uh, or sit around talking about flying. So, yeah. It's always, uh, it's always our pleasure, believe me. So, well, John, thank you once again. And thanks, uh, as always, to everybody out there for listening. Uh, thank you for taking the time to, uh, to give us some feedback, which you can do that by commenting on the posts that go up with each of our podcasts at our blog, inspired.ea.org. You can send email to feedback at ea.org, or you can leave uh, reviews at uh, iTunes or anywhere uh, that you consume your podcasts. With that, thanks to everybody for listening. Keep the comments coming. Keep the reviews both, uh, both good and constructive rolling in, and we look forward to catching up with you next time when you're cleared to land on the Green Dot. Thank you.